The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. I was thinking before last Sunday, or last week in the chapel chat, I'd quoted the 23rd Psalm and Michael didn't realise that when he opened the service last Sunday with the 23rd Psalm. And I was just thinking about that as we sang that song. That song has got such a powerful story behind it. If you don't know the story of that song, go home and Google the search the story of Horatio Spafford writing that song. It's a song that comes out of great grief and very difficult times. But you see, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in green pastures, but he also walks through with me through those dark, um, through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God is a God who is with us in every circumstance, and that's part of the lesson that I think we learn as we continue to walk through our journey with Abraham. So a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember, because I couldn't pronounce them, I showed you this map, that the four kings of the north came down and attacked the four kings of the south. And uh, long story short, uh, Lot, Abraham's nephew, who by now is living not near Sodom, he's now living in Sodom, is taken captive and is taken captive by those kings, or by the four kings, and taken north. On hearing this, Abraham rounds up 318 trained men born in his household. And he heads up north, and he attacks the five kings, or the four kings in the north, and recaptures Lot, along with the goods that had been taken and the other people who had been taken captive. And uh, as he returns home, last Sunday Andy was sharing that uh, as he returns home, Abraham is met by two kings. The first of those is Melchizedek, king of Salem, who simply comes out to minister to Abraham. I love the picture of him coming with bread and wine. He comes to bless Abraham and to give God the glory for Abraham's victory. In return, Abraham acknowledges Melchizedek as a high priest and blesses him by giving him the tithe from the spoils of war. The other king is the king of Sodom, who invites Abraham, just just return the people and you can keep all the goods, but Abraham isn't having a bar of it. Abraham is is determined not to be able to, to be made rich by the king of Sodom. He is dependent on God. And so this morning we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your very great reward. You know, if you've just done that trek up north and you've, you've recaptured, you've defeated four kings and you've brought all this back, that's one of those moments when the adrenaline is rushing and it's like, yeah, I've got this. And then you get home and you sit down and go, I know what those guys did just before when someone stood up against them. I wonder if they're coming after me. You've had that moment where it's been really, really good and then you kind of hit that low point as the adrenaline all rushes away and you realise what you've actually just been through. And so God says to Abraham, don't worry. As Melchizedek has said to you, I gave you the victory. 
And if I can give you a victory over the kings of the north with just 318 men against four kings and their armies, you need never be afraid. I will always give you victory. I will always protect you. I am your shield. And never forget, as you remembered when you were talking to the king of Sodom, you don't need anything from anyone else. I am your very great reward. You know, the, uh, those of us who have got more grey hair, as we get older, particularly those of us who have been privileged to walk many years as a follower of Jesus, the more we look back over our lives, the more we realise that even in the darkest moments, it is God who has been with us. He has protected us, and he will continue to do so. And if you're in a place right now where that doesn't feel like the case, just keep trusting and just keep walking. Because Romans 8 affirms that we know that in all things, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. God will protect and God will provide we just need to trust him and keep trusting him. I believe that Abraham had acknowledged this in the giving of the tithe in one sense to Melchizedek, but he was giving it through Melchizedek to God. He was acknowledging God's provision and God's protection. And now God affirms, I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant from my household will be my heir. You see, up until now, if you look back over the story, as far back as there, God has been speaking to Abraham. We followed the story through. God has been speaking to Abraham. And Abraham has been doing what God asked, more or less. But now there seems to be a shift, because for, for now, for the first time, we have a report of an actual conversation between God and Abraham. Up until now, God speaks, Abraham obeys, and Abraham might build an altar, and he calls on the name of the Lord, but we've not had this conversation recorded. Since there, Abraham has been promised this blessing, a great nation, a blessing to all nations, those descendants that shall be like the dust of the earth, too numerous to count. And through his time in Haran and his time in Egypt, Abraham has grown very, very wealthy. And over time he has watched his household grow. We were told in last week's passage, and we saw it briefly there, that Abraham went to war with 318 men, trained men, who had been born into his own household. So I'm just a numbers person, so my head's going, well, if there's 318 trained men born into his household, there's probably quite a few boys born into his household who are not old enough to be trained yet. And I know roughly there's slightly more girls born than boys, so there's probably at least one girl for every boy and at least one adult woman for every trained man. And so in this whole journey, Abraham has watched like 
700 people being born into his household. And his wife, Sarai, is still childless. And God keeps telling him, you're going to have so many descendants that you can't count them. And I think Abraham figures it's actually time, rather than just hearing what God says and doing it, I've got to ask a question or two. One commentator I read suggested that they were quite surprised that God didn't chastise Abraham for not having the faith just to believe and keep obeying. But I don't believe that's how God operates. In fact, I read through scripture time and again where God has happily welcomed those who will question. Psalm 103 says, He remembers, he knows how we were formed and he remembers that we are dust. He understands our weaknesses and our frailties and he understands that he's created us to have questions. God doesn't expect, God doesn't expect blind faith. What he looks for is obedience. And time and time and time again through scripture I see the questions asked. You know, when the angel appears to Mary and says, you, Holy Spirit, you're going to become a mother. She goes, how can this be? She didn't get told off for a lack of faith. The angel explained. We talk about doubting Thomas, who said, unless I see the nail prints in his hands, I won't believe. But Thomas wasn't a doubter. Thomas was a seeker after truth. Because it was in the upper room just a few nights earlier when Jesus says, oh, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And it wasn't Peter or John, it was Thomas who said, but Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And I wondered to myself, if it wasn't for Thomas asking the question, would we have ever heard Jesus say, by the way, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Thomas wasn't a doubter. He was a seeker after truth. And so the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Sorry, and the, and the Lord said to him, I'll pick up. Sorry. The word of the Lord came to him. The man, this man will not be your ear, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your ear. And he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. God can handle our doubts and our questions. In fact, I believe these. In fact, I would go further. Given that God is omniscient, that's that big word that means he knows everything. Given that no, God knows everything, and I know so very little, asking questions of an omniscient God seems like the intelligent thing to do. I often comment that I'm not a fan of theology because it seems to me that the goal of theology is to make very, very simple summaries of every matter of faith. 
And I think if God had wanted to give us a theology textbook, he could have created a theology textbook that goes through and enunciates, enunciates the answers to every question of faith. But God didn't give us a theology textbook. He gave us a book of stories. And he sent us his son. And he gave us his Holy Spirit. Because God doesn't want us to have answers, he wants to seek answers. And in the seeking process, we develop relationships. We understand that these stories are played out in the lives of real people. And when we press in, we look to the Word, and ultimately we look to Jesus. And we allow the Holy Spirit to speak through the Word. Doubts and questions mean we are thinking we're believing, but we're also honest enough to admit that we have a struggle matching up what we experience with what we believe. But we believe enough to keep seeking God for answers. We don't walk away. We trust God enough to know that there will be an answer. And we press into him through his word and by his spirit. Hebrews tells us, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So if you don't believe he exists, there's a problem. But if you believe he exists, press in with your questions, press in with the challenges you face, press in with the things you don't understand, the doubts that you have. I remember the man who came to Jesus wanting a prayer for healing and he said, and he said Jesus says, do you believe? He says, uh, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so we're told that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But Abraham still had more questions. Because God also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you up of Ur, the Chaldeans, and to give you this land that you are to take possession of it. And Abraham said, but sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham bought all of these, he cut them in two and arranged them in halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses and Abraham drove them away. I love that little note, it's like, in some ways got no relevance to the story that these birds of prey come, but it's like, this is a real thing. This is something real that happened, this isn't just an allegory. These birds come down and Abraham scares them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. And the Lord said, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. 
In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached to its full measure. When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, the smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, uh, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Some have suggested that this format for making a covenant was kind of established in the day. The idea of cutting animals and putting them aside and the two people who are making the covenant would walk through. Others have questioned whether that's got enough substance to actually be the case or whether Abraham was continuing to act out in obedience to what God directed. I don't really know. But what I do know is that as we read the story, Abraham did not pass through between the halves of the animals. But God did. This is not a covenant where Abraham has to make the promise. This is God's unchanging promise to Abraham and to his descendants. And God passes through as a blazing torch and as a smoking fire pot. Now some of you will know, and I know Andy makes occasional comment, that I have this process that I've been doing probably about five or six years now that I follow a word through scripture. And so I'll pick a word and most days I'll look to the next occurrence of that word. So you end up going right through scripture looking at And the first one I did was fire. And when I came to this passage, there were two things that struck me. One is that we're told that the Holy Spirit comes as fire. In fact, I'll step back a moment. The flame, it seems, is a very... Uh, the flame, it seems, is very much a manifestation, a physical expression of the presence of God. When we think of the children of Israel as they come out from Egypt, they follow or are accompanied by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And the tongues of fire that we see manifest the presence of God as the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And when I thought about the fire pot, I was thinking of, and I looked at it like a clay pot with a fire within. And I'm reminded of this uh, I haven't got the verse there. That the verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 where Paul writes that we have this treasure, this light of Jesus Christ, this fire of the Holy Spirit in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And so I wonder if the symbolism there is this flaming torch, the Holy Spirit, and this fire within this clay pot, because this is the Spirit of God within our humanity, within Jesus. And so Jesus and the Holy Spirit, as we're passing through, whichever way it is, it's certainly symbolic of the presence of God passing through and sealing this covenant. Some are insistent that this covenant is not a sacrifice. It's, it's separate from a sacrifice, but as I said before, I've been married 40 years, and 
marriage of the covenant, and it comes with sacrifice. Maybe not so much blood, but it comes with sacrifice. There is a price to be paid in a covenant. In Exodus, when Moses is presenting the law to the people, he, he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people, and they responded, we will do everything that the Lord has said, we will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And as we often remember, on the night before he was crucified, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, Jesus gave it to them and they all drank, and he said, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. The covenant is all about sacrifice. And God is the one to make the covenant. And God is the one ultimately to make the sacrifice. And Mike reminded us that at the beginning of our time. The greatest day in history when God himself, fulfilling all of the promises of the past, came and gave his only son as a sacrifice. Others have conjectured on the meaning of each of the animals chosen. Andy commented last week when Melchizedek brought bread and wine and Abraham gave a tithe. Did those things hold the meaning to them then that they do for us now? I don't really know. But for me, the consistency of the imagery in the heart and mind of God the consistency of the hand of God at work. They may not have meant to Abraham what they meant to us, but they would have meant the same to God because God knows what those things would mean throughout human history. Abraham is learning that God has a plan and he is working out that plan and he will bring that plan to completion. And Abraham's just learnt, but it won't be in your lifetime. Abraham will not see his descendants take possession of the land. Some of the things we are promised we may not see in our lifetimes, but that does not mean that God is not faithful to do. God is consistent. He is unchanging. His plan and purposes are unchanging. Some of us have the, well, all of us actually have the advantage of looking back through the history of Scripture, through the story of Abraham and Abraham as he comes and his descendants and we have the privilege of looking back and seeing how these promises have played out over time and through generations and we understand and we see what Abraham only saw by faith we look back through the generations from the time in Egypt and through the exodus and the eventual return of Abraham's descendants to take possession of the land. A number of years ago when I was pastoring in Melbourne I preached through the book of Joshua and as I did so I didn't usually refer to the promised land. I made a deliberate effort to refer to the land of promise because for us the focus isn't on the land, the focus for us is on the promise. The things that God has promised us I wanted to keep the focus not on the land, but on the promises of God. The lesson that Abraham and his descendants would learn 
They are central to our faith. But they also have so much to teach us as we look at what it looks like for us to walk and to live by faith. This morning we have worshipped, we have called on the name of the Lord our God. And we have listened for his voice. We've read the word, we've shared with each other what we believe God has been saying to us. But here is a thought I want to leave with you this morning. Will you take some time this week? Will you make time this week to do what Abraham did? To have a conversation with God? To bring your questions, your doubts? To think of the things that you believe God has promised you? And you're going, God, I'm still waiting. It's not turned out like I imagined. It's not like I thought you said it would be. There are generic promises that stand for all of us. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. But there are those promises that God has given specifically to you throughout your life. Things that he's called you to. And maybe for some of us it's those things and we realise that like Abraham we are not going to see them fulfilled in our lifetimes. But sit down and have a conversation with God. Bring your doubts and your fears, your hopes, your questions And talk them over with him. Speak and listen. And listen and speak. When we pray, so often we come with all of the things that we want God to do for us. And he invites us to do that, but he already knows. He asks us to pray for our daily bread. And he knows he's going to give it to us. But in praying, we acknowledge that when it comes, it's come from his hand. But how much more important it is that we spend time listening to him. Being honest, saying, God, I have these doubts, I'm wrestling with these things, and I've done that a bit in the last couple of weeks. Say, God, this isn't what I imagined it should be. And then just allow God to speak to your heart. As Hebrews says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.